Hey ladies, how you doing out there, you gangsters and you senior citizens of the world? I just want to let you know that I'm here. I'm starting my new podcast with Anchor. It's free, so I thought, why not give it a try? There's creation tools there that allow you to edit your own podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute my podcast, so it will be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, at home. During the coronavirus epidemic, this is where we're going to be. So, it's a mandatory call to action that we... Take anchor. America's first second man. So Kamala Harris. Doug, you're gonna have to learn. Uh, I guess she's black. Breaker yourself in this uh, job you're about to take on. America's first second gentleman. The way I feel about this vice president. Vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris officially takes her historic step forward on the presidential ticket. I really don't think I belong to end because I choose people by who I think is good or the best for the Ready to go. Not by their political party. Apparently. She was an ever present plus one on the campaign trail. But this notice is what how ran for president. immediately the quiet guide. The media is going to give credit to her husband, who is, oh my God, white. And sometimes the unscripted husband. In a security scare last year at a campaign event, but a I will say the look on his face, close he to was Harris. furious. The female moderator got in between. Then one of the three men to charge and drag him away was Emhoff. The look on his face, unfiltered, unmistakable. And when her presidential hopes ended, he was her source of comfort. I didn't know she ran for president. I really haven't heard of her until recently. <laughs> husband now wading through barely charted territory. This is only the third woman vice presidential nominee, and so he will be navigating terrain that we haven't really seen in any recent history. I don't know if we're ready for a first lady named Doug. I don't <laughs> Doug, huh? Oh, he is the most fully actualized person you've ever met. The couple met later in life, set up on a blind date by friends. Emhoff, an entertainment lawyer and millionaire, elevated her public servant salary into the 1%. And he brings two grown children, both in their 20s, to their blended marriage. I've had a lot of titles over my career. And certainly, vice president will be great. But Mamala will always be the one that means the most. They are reflective of America. Their story is, is common to a lot of Americans. And I think that is something they can draw upon on the Mama, trail. Black Mamba. Real humans just like know. you. And voters tend to like I don't that. know how What's I feel. notable to gender politics watchers I mean, is I like how Emhoff is changing the norms for American men. I can't even care how I feel because, other men, like, if she's black, step back anyway, and, lift up women's and she's married to a white man, I'm not sick of this shit. I don't know. It's going to be important, too, to perhaps influence future generations of men. 
Now everybody wants to Demar says women scared. candidates have historically Lord, have not mercy. brought their husbands on the trail or emphasized them too much because of the perception that their accomplishments would overshadow the woman candidate. That's something we should say that men generally don't what worry about in politics. Now. But that's not an apparent fear of Kamala Harris and Doug Emhoff. And that's... Off my screen. Well, congratulations, Kamala Harris. I don't know. I'm pretty sure you'll make it. I'll vote for you. But this, all this whole mixed marriage shit, this white man, all in my face. Another white man, another white man president. Oh, Lord, have mercy if you guys don't knock this shit off. polls and taking well, some suggestions so that we can, you know, choose a case as a community for this Probably channel. Just before we start, I just wanted to give a massive shout out to my good friend, Kirsty Sky. So, Kirsty we'll makes true crime videos over here on YouTube. She's been on my channel before, and honestly, she's one of the most underrated true crime YouTubers, in my opinion. I couldn't recommend her enough. I've left a link to her channel at the top of the description, and I encourage you to go over to her channel, hit subscribe give her some love and tell her that I sent you. As per usual, I'd just like to point out this video has not been made to cause disrespect or anything like that. It's just been made to spread awareness about this case by compiling information from various different public sources on the internet. Any theories discussed in this video are just that. Theories, they are not facts, and they don't represent the views or opinions of myself, law enforcement, anybody or involved in this case, video. unless otherwise stated. And with all that being said, Let's delve right into this case. most tragic days to ever occur in the country. Lisa Holm was a 17-year-old girl from Hofta who had recently graduated from school and had just started a new job at a cafe in Blomberg, I believe is pronounced, which was about a 40-minute drive from her home. As a celebration for Lisa graduating from her school and getting this new job, her father actually bought her a moped so that she could have some independence and travel to the cafe to work. Lisa was at that stage in life where she was finally becoming an adult, growing up and becoming independent, and the world was really her oyster. Lisa and her dad had actually ridden along the route to the cafe for two weeks. Her dad had gone with her as she traveled to the cafe and gone with her when um, she came back from the cafe, just so that she could practice and gain some confidence. And Sunday the 7th of June 2015 would be the first day that Lisa would complete this 40-minute journey on a moped by herself, which was a huge step for Lisa in becoming an adult and becoming independent. 
Lisa's shift that day was the closing shift, so she worked through Sunday afternoon laughing and joking around with her colleagues. Lisa and her two colleagues then began to close the cafe at around 6.23 p.m. Lisa sent a text to her dad to tell him that she was leaving the cafe and was on the way home. Shortly after Lisa's dad received this text, he actually received a phone call from Lisa, which appeared to be a butt dial. Lisa's dad could hear murmuring voices on this phone call, voices that he believed came from Lisa's co-workers and colleagues, and overall the tone of the conversation was quite positive and happy and cheerful and there was nothing untoward going on there was nothing to suggest anything bad or negative was taking place however unbeknown to lisa's father this would be the last time that he would ever hear his 17 year old daughter's voice the journey from the cafe to lisa's home should have taken around 40 minutes and when that 40 minutes came and went lisa's dad began to grow very worried as any good dad would. Lisa's dad decided to wait a bit longer just in case Lisa had been held up in traffic or she had gone to the store to pick some things up or something like that. But after a while when Lisa still didn't show up, her dad's gut instinct kicked in and was telling him that something very bad had happened. He tried to ring Lisa but unfortunately his calls were going straight to voicemail. Nobody was picking the calls up. Subsequently, Lisa's father decided to get into his car and drive along the route to the cafe where Lisa worked. On this journey, a million thoughts were rushing through his mind. What if Lisa had gotten in some kind of accident on her moped on her journey back from the cafe? Lisa's father was sure to scan at the roads en route to Blumberg to the cafe just in case his 17-year-old daughter had in fact been involved in some kind of an accident. He scanned all the ditches on the side of the road as he drove past. However, he found nothing. But relief flooded through Lisa's dad when he pulled up to the cafe and saw her moped parked still in the car park. Maybe she was still in the cafe with her colleagues closing up. Maybe there'd been some kind of a spillage or a delivery or something like that that they had to stay on longer. Lisa's dad parked his car and started to walk over to the moped just to check it out. Maybe the moped had broken down and Lisa had hitched a ride with a colleague. Maybe her phone had run out of power or they'd gone to a place that was out of service. Lisa's dad was trying to find reasonable and rational explanations for all the events that were occurring and the situation he'd found himself in. He was trying not to worry himself too much. After all, Lisa was almost 18. She was becoming an adult and Lisa's dad was just coming to terms with that and allowing her to flock the nest. However, that sense of relief quickly turned to dread when Lisa's dad got to the moped and saw that the keys for the moped were still in the ignition. It would have been very out of character for Lisa to have been so careless in leaving the keys still in the ignition to a moped. Lisa's dad tried ringing her again, but it still was ringing and going through to a voicemail, indicating that the phone, like I say, was switched off or had gone out of service or something like that. Lisa's dad then conducted a quick search of the cafe and the surrounding area, looking for Lisa. However, his searches were to no avail. That was when Lisa's dad decided to phone the authorities and report her as missing. 
The police subsequently launched a preliminary investigation into potential kidnapping, and this was largely due to the fact that Lisa's keys had been left in the ignition and had been taken with her. That piece of evidence is consistent with somebody who had been taken rather than somebody who had run away. When the police arrived on the scene, they immediately began searching the cafe and searched a barn that was actually opposite the cafe using a specialized search dog. However, this initial search yielded no results. The police also began knocking on the doors of the nearby houses in the hopes that somebody had seen something, but this too was to no avail. Their searches overnight leading into Monday the 8th of June 2015 were fruitless, and subsequently the police issued a statement to the press to say that a teenage girl had gone missing. They didn't reveal Lisa's identity to the press at this point for privacy reasons. Coincidentally, at the same time that the police issued this statement, a vital piece of evidence was actually discovered. Lisa's moped glove had actually been found in the barn opposite the cafe, the same barn that the police had searched the night before and had not found anything. The glove had actually been handed in to the police by the landlord of the Bloomberg's estate, who lived in a castle-like manor house just a few hundred meters away away from the cafe. The glove had been found by farm workers who had gone into the barn that Monday morning to begin their work, and they had handed it over to the landlord when they found it, who then brought it to the police. This landlord also owns the cafe where Lisa works at, as well as this barn. Obviously, the chain of custody for this piece of evidence was not reliable, and it invalidated any forensic evidence or DNA that could be taken from the glove due to the fact that it had been moved and contaminated by countless people. Just as a quick side note, if you find anything suspicious or anything that could be linked to a crime yourself, do not touch it, especially if there is an open case taking place in your local area. My best advice would be to contact the police using the non-emergency phone number for your country and area or calling the police station locally or their tip-off line and then the authorities can come and collect the evidence properly, secure it so that all forensics are preserved. If you touch or move the suspicious item in any way, then you could potentially destroy any forensic data or evidence that is on the item, so just don't touch it. This discovery of the glove concreted to the investigators that Lisa had likely fallen victim to foul play and definitely hadn't run away. The investigation was consequently upgraded, which allowed the authorities to use all the possible resources available to them in the search for Lisa. Due to more resources being allocated to this investigation, further traces were found that were also linked to Lisa. Just a few hundred meters south of the cafe where she worked, investigators discovered her mobile phone case, a receipt, a ticket, and a crushed mobile phone display. The discoveries were actually made along a local small gravel road, a road that most outsiders wouldn't even notice was there. Lisa's parents actually positively identified these items as belonging to Lisa. 
Due to the press release that had occurred that same day, tips from the public began pouring in and the police decided to launch a separate investigation team that would investigate parallel to the search efforts. The team would be based in the police station in Hovde and would follow up any leads from these tip-offs, as well as conducting further internal investigations. They also began to monitor Lisa's cell phone traffic to see if it had been used on the day that she went missing, when it had been used, if she'd contacted anybody else and where she might have gone. They used a method called triangulation, which is a way of police being able to locate where a mobile phone is or has been according to the cell phone tower logs. Of course, the cell phone towers would only log data when the cell phone pinged it, which would occur every few minutes. Triangulation typically works by using data from three surrounding cell phone towers. They look at the data and see how long it takes for the cell phone to respond to requests from the tower, and using that, they're able to estimate how far away from the tower the device actually is. The cell phone tower also logs which sector the device is in, which basically means roughly which direction from the tower the device is. The sectors are typically split into three. They then use three different cell phone towers, hence the name triangulation, to pinpoint within about a quarter of a square mile where the cell phone is. As you can see by this diagram, the three towers can be used to determine location. Some towers actually also request and log GPS data from the cell phone during these pings, but that does depend on whether or not the phone has locational services turned on. There are also newer technologies and software that networks can use to pinpoint a cell phone even further down to just 50 meters. But triangulation is one of the simplest and most basic methods of tracing a mobular device. However, authorities were completely unable to locate Lisa's cell phone. The last known location of her cell phone was at the cafe, which told investigators that Lisa might have been forced to switch off her cell phone by her capture or by the person responsible for this, or she had been forced to hand over the cell phone so that it could be destroyed by the perpetrator. And that second theory was actually backed up by the fact that the display from the cell phone was found smashed to pieces. It is likely that it was smashed to pieces soon after Lisa had been captured. This separate investigative team also interviewed Lisa's family, friends, and the two colleagues that had been working with her on the day she went missing. However, these interviews were to no avail. They didn't really find any new leads from it. This team then decided to also begin collecting DNA samples from residents in the surrounding area, which could then later be used um, in comparisons between DNA potentially found at the scene or DNA found in the surrounding area so they could you know, try and find somebody who is responsible. The very next day, on Tuesday the 9th of June 2015, more evidence was actually found that is linked to Lisa. Her driver's license was located along with Lisa's set of keys to her house. Despite all this evidence being found, the police were no closer to figuring out where Lisa was or what had happened to her. The Swedish military also aided the investigators in their searches. The search teams emptied manure wells in the surrounding areas, searched and scoured buildings and farmlands and woods in the hopes of finding anything linking to Lisa. Up until this point, Lisa's identity and photo had not actually been released to the press. 
with the public just aware that a 17-year-old girl had gone missing. But on Wednesday, the 10th of June 2015, Lisa's parents, along with the authorities, agreed that it would be a good idea to release this information to the press. And so they did. Upon this press release, almost a thousand people flocked from all over Sweden to aid in the search efforts. The police also gave the okay to the charity Missing People to begin aiding in the search efforts and organizing search parties. The search efforts for Lisa is still, to this day, the biggest in Swedish history. Now, interestingly, the search dogs that had been used in these search parties had actually detected on a second search of the barn human feces on the floor, and this was in the same barn where Lisa's moped glove had been found. And the investigators believe that the feces actually belonged to the person responsible, and this was due to the fact that they theorized that the person responsible would have had such a massive adrenaline rush that they would have had to go to the toilet. The police also began to hypothesize that the person and perpetrator responsible would have likely been a local to the area due to the fact that Lisa's items and personal possessions were found along this secluded small gravel road. The investigators' attention quickly began to narrow on the barn, and forensics teams were brought in to try and obtain as much information and evidence from the barn as possible. One of Lisa's earrings was actually found near the entrance to the barn, which further intensified the authorities' interest in this building. The next day, on Thursday the 11th of June 2015, even more people flocked to aid in the search efforts. And this was largely due to the massive coverage in the Swedish press, the newspapers, and television. However, despite these massive search efforts, no new evidence was located and nothing new was coming to light. The police then began to speculate that Lisa might have been trafficked out of the country. But on Friday the 12th of June 2015, according to some sources, the police actually stormed a house on Martup Farm, which was not far from the cafe, and they arrested a 25-year-old man, that man's wife, and his brother. Who was this 25-year-old man and why had he been arrested? This man was called Nerius. I don't know how you pronounce his last name, so I'm just going to put it on the screen. The investigators had actually found evidence at the farm where Nerius was located. The farm itself was about three kilometers away from the cafe. Martrop Farm is also referred to as Martrop Estate in multiple different sources, so I'm not really sure what the official name for it is, but for the purpose of this video, I will just be calling it Martrop Farm for simplicity's sake. Okay, so this is a map of Bloomberg, and I thought it'd be a good idea if I showed you all these locations that I'm talking about, just so you can get a grasp as to the search area and where everything went down. So this is, like I say, Bloomberg, and Okay, so the little girl basically got kidnapped, murdered by all these people, and somebody had sex and jacked off or something like that while she was dying, watching her die. Her name was Lisa Holmes. Little Lisa Holmes. So go ahead to YouTube and look it up. And uh, you can get the rest of the story.